The April 20th Mindful Parenting Retreat Day is filling up fast. Join me and other parents in Wilmington, Delaware for a day of rest and relaxation, mindfulness and mindful communication practices, and a live podcast too. And my special guest for the live podcast is, drumroll please, Lynetta Willis. You know her from episode 366 and 400. She is a psychologist and sought-after speaker who teaches her Triggered to Transformed program to struggling parents. Join us and bring a friend to this powerful day-long retreat in Wilmington, Delaware on April 20th, 2024. But hurry, space is limited. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat to get your spot now. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat. This time goes so fast. And I have worked with more than one set of parents, Hunter, who have come to me on the back end feeling like, I feel like we missed it and we can't get that time back. So, and we were in conflict the vast majority of the time. Mm-hmm. So um, to the extent that we can mitigate that and recognize like, okay, this is an anxious time for our kids. If we connect with them, we can walk with them through this time. And um, there's a better story to write there. You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode 203. Today, we're talking about parenting the new teen with Dr. John Duffy. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark Fields, Mindful Mama Mentor. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of the Mindful Parenting Membership, and I'm the author of Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Yay! Oh, hello, hello, my friend. I hope that you are well. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Um, In just a moment, I'm going to be sitting down with Dr. John Duffy, and he is an amazing psychologist, widely renowned author and educator. You may have seen him on the Steve Harvey show around Chicago, and he had an amazing first book, The Available Parent, and now he has a new book called Parenting the New Teen in the Age of Anxiety, a complete guide to your child's stressed, depressed, expanded, amazing adolescence. And it is an amazing, amazing book. I can't wait for you to talk to John with me. He, um, you know, it's crazy because kids are growing up with almost unlimited access to social media and everything you can find on the internet. And it really changes everything. Um, And we're also going to talk about helping kids navigate adolescence and how it starts years before adolescence. So so some of my takeaways that I really want you to listen for are these, that technology really has radically changed the teen experience. It is not like it was when you were a teenager. How kids are more anxious than ever for good reasons. And we're also going to talk about what sex and relationship looks like for today's teens. And it may be really, really different than what you are expecting. This is a super powerful conversation. So I can't wait for you to dive into it. 
Before we dive in, I want to let you know that my Calm and Connected Challenge is happening very soon. So learn more about it at mindfulmamamentor.com slash challenge. It is a 10-day free challenge that will leave you calmer and closer to your child, leading to more cooperation and more fun. And that is at mindfulmamamentor.com slash challenge. And then the membership is going to be opening briefly. So if you would like to be on the wait list, learn about the special bonuses that you can get when you join, that you can get on that wait list at mindfulmamamentor.com. Sorry, not mindfulmamamentor.com, at mindfulparentingcourse.com. So that's mindfulparentingcourse.com. You can learn all about it. Get the life-changing course. It's really um, incredibly powerful. So you can get on the wait list there. And in the meantime, join me at the free training. Okay, now join me as I talk to Dr. John Duffy. John Duffy, thank you so much for coming back on the Mindful Mama podcast. Thank you for having me, Hunter. I'm always happy to be talking to you. I am happy to talk to you too. And I'm so happy to pick your brain and talk to you about your new book, Parenting the the New Teen in the Age of Anxiety, because my daughter is turning 13 in in February. (laughs) So like, this is all very, very personal, very, very relevant to me. So dear listener, some of this might be just a tiny bit self-serving. I just have to admit that at the offset. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I love this, like the way you start this book, because you're, you start it in this beautiful, beautiful way. And you, you know, you talk about this generation of teenagers and how you admire them and how they're kind and thoughtful. They are wor- worldly and they have this sense of justice. Um, and then you say that our kids are in an undue degree of psychic pain. Wow, that's like a that's like a heavy sentence. So can you just tell me about that? Like what's going on there? Yeah, there's there's so much going on. So uh if you think about what our kids are going through right now, um, and I don't think many of us kind of get the gestalt, the whole picture of what they're going through, but not only do they have the academic stressors that we had, but those are amped up quite a bit. Um, because there are more millennials than there were people in my generation. And so the ability to get into a certain college makes it is more difficult than it used to be. And kids are thinking about this as early as sixth or seventh grade. Um, social stress is amped up as well, because not only do I have to maintain my identity with my friends um, in real time, but also, you know, the grid online is going constantly. So I need to keep my snap streaks up and I need to learn what Visco is and get involved in that. And I have to get on, you know, a Facebook for people who are old school and, um, and I have to maintain my relationships with my parents and my friends and, you know, all this other stuff. Uh, so you have academic and social stressors. And now these kids have this awareness of mental illness that we didn't necessarily have. They're aware that um, their friends are depressed and anxious. They wonder if they are. They talk about it all the time. They're de facto therapists for each other. And they have these um, really wretched methods for coping sometimes with these things. We've got all the, the nicotine and the um, marijuana and all the different delivery systems there are for these things. And, um, 
And oftentimes the way to cope is to isolate for a lot of kids. So it's, it is Netflix and chilling or just being in their room alone, doors closed. So they're alone and lonely a lot of the time. And so um, I find that for all, all of those reasons and more, kids today are far more anxious than they were, I usually say 10 years ago, Hunter, but the more I talk about it, the more I think about it, the more I think it's like three years ago, four wow. years ago, maybe. you know what I mean? Like it, it, things are changing really fast mm-hmm. and the stress on kids is, um, it's just escalating super quickly. Yeah. You talk about these brothers that were in your therapy office and like the older brother has, is concerned for the younger brother who's four years younger than him growing up in the age he's growing up. Yeah. Yeah. And his, um, one of his points there, which I thought was kind of fascinating was my brother doesn't remember what it was like to be off the grid. So the, the, the kids who were born and are maybe 15 or 16 right now, don't remember when an iPhone wasn't trained on them, you know, when they were going to kindergarten, you know, or um, having an iPad in their lap when they were in a stroller, just just to occupy some time. And so the idea of um, any kind of like grace and solitude and quiet in their minds is a very foreign notion to an awful lot of kids. They don't know how to grab onto that, that quiet. And so they're frenetic in their thinking virtually all the time. So I'm always looking for sanctuary in some way for kids because they have precious little of it in their lives. Wow. Wow. So for me as the mindfulness person, you know, (laughs) advocate that I am, this kind of scares the bejesus out of me that, you know, this incredibly distracted you know, generation of people. Um, and so the screen time is a big, big part piece of this, isn't it? It, it sure is. Yes. Um, and um, I, I polled some kids to uh, ask them how much time they thought they spent on screens a day. And then I asked them to look. So, you know, and it's not that hard to check. Um, and they underestimated it by well under half. In other words, they would say like, oh, I think I'm on maybe for two or three hours a day. And they would look and it would be eight. You know, that that would happen on a very regular basis that somehow they're looking at some screen or another, almost a third, well, half of their waking life. And so, and a lot of this happens um, at school. A lot of this happens after they're allegedly going to bed, you know, like doors closed, lights out. And they are talking to friends online. They're just kind of looking at YouTube videos. Sometimes they're looking at pornography, if I'm being really honest about what's going on out there. Um, and so it's, it's pretty alarming because they don't, even when they're going to sleep, a lot of kids will look at a screen until they can't keep their eyes open. And some will tell me, because I don't want to face myself in a way. You know what I mean? Like I'm Mm -hmm. afraid of how I feel about myself. I don't think I like myself very much. I'd rather not deal with that. I'd rather watch friends. Mm. I know, right? I don't want to face myself. You know, I think I remember feeling that way as a teenager, um, but you just didn't have the same level of options of distractibility that, you know, that you have now. Um, There, I think there's a really a natural human desire in that everything we feel is intense and yep. it can be scary. And it's, it's almost like the same fear that when I ask adults and I say, 
you know, you can sit by yourself quietly doing nothing and just breathing in and out for, you know, three minutes to five minutes. And it's like, whoa, wait a second. That's a really scary thought. And it's a very legitimate fear. Like it feels uncomfortable. It just kind of goes against our kind of natural instincts to be always kind of on the lookout and things like that. Um, I, I agree to this extent, Hunter. I often encourage the kids I work with and the parents I work with to listen to the podcast that you and I made uh, maybe a year or two ago, mm -hmm. um, just to get a feel for what mindfulness is all about and what a few minutes a day even of just finding that calm center can do for them. And a lot of people said like, wow, I never really thought about that. Even adults kind mm -hmm. of are in, in this space where they're like, you know, yeah, I don't think I have time for that. And yet when they take it, you can feel it's palpable, the difference. You can feel how grounded they are in their world, in their lives, and in their days. And if I can get kids to, the kids I work with in particular, to take those five or 10 minutes of just silence and sanctuary, um, it makes an enormous difference in their lives. Mm, oh, that's so, that's so good. I'm glad to hear that, John. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're talking about the, you know, we want to kind of, I want to really like weave in like, what are the ways, what are the solutions, right? Like there's a lot of big problems. And, you know, when I think about teens, like that, you know, your book is about the age of, has the age of anxiety in the title. And, you know, there's a lot of really legitimate things to be anxious about. Like, our government is, you know, what what is happening? Um, right, right. Governments around the world. The climate change is such an intense thing that we're feeling, you know, and and you know, school shootings. Like there is this real sense of danger, and we can't. And um, you know, many of us parents are kind of protect our kids as much as we can from the fears, you know, as we should, like as they're young. Sure. And then you get to be a teenager, and it's like, oh wow, this this world is is terrible. Like I yes. can really see them kind of coming into this realization of like, yeah, there are a lot of legitimate fears to be, you know, afraid of in this world. Oh, absolutely. And, and the, uh, almost to a teenager, the kids I work with are keenly aware of all of those. So I, I always think back to when I was a teenager, was I afraid of going to school? Was I worried about the kind of what was going on in the world? And if I'm being really honest, I wasn't that worldly. I wasn't thinking about, you know, my world was very small. <laughs> it was pretty limited to, you know, like my little world, my little suburban world. And the kids I work with today, they know what's going on. They're, they're remarkably well-informed. And so their anxiety isn't based in folly. And it's not always about like, does he or she like me? Or, you know, did I finish this homework? Sometimes it's global. Some, and sometimes it's like, will there be a shooter at my school tomorrow? You know, like kids are worried about very pragmatic, real things that are happening in the world in a real way. You know, some healthy skepticism in my life has served me well. And if you're like that, if you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from about a mile away, you read labels like it's your job, congratulations, you're a skeptic. And Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. I take Ritual's Essentials for Women 18 Plus every single day, morning and at lunch, and I am feeling great. I love this vitamin. Ritual's Essentials for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. 
Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. Plus, Ritual Vitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project-verified, gluten and major allergen-free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. They select lower-carbon packaging, they prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients, and set ambitious climate goals. Plus, Ritual is a female-founded B Corp, which means they are responsible to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash mindful. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mindful for 25% off. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. They definitely do it. It's really helpful. It will change your relationship with your kids for the better. It will help you communicate better. And just, I'd say communicate better as a person, as a wife, as a spouse. It's been really a positive influence in our lives. So definitely do it. I'd say definitely do it. It's so worth it. The money really is inconsequential when you get so much benefit from being a better parent to your children and feeling like you're connecting more with them and not feeling like you're yelling all the time or you're like, why isn't things working? I would say definitely do it. It's so, so worth it. It'll change you. No matter what age someone's child is, it's a great opportunity for personal growth and it's a great investment in someone's family. I'm very thankful I have this. You can continue in your old habits that aren't working or you can learn some new tools and gain some perspective to shift everything in your parenting. Are you frustrated by parenting? Do you listen to the experts and try all the tips and strategies, but you're just not seeing the results that you want? Or are you lost as to where to start? Does it all seem so overwhelming with too much to learn? Are you yearning for a community of people who get it, who also don't want to threaten and punish to create cooperation? Hi, I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and if you answered yes to any of these questions, I want you to seriously consider the Mindful Parenting membership. You'll be joining hundreds of members who have discovered the path of mindful parenting and now have confidence and clarity in their parenting. This isn't just another parenting class. This is an opportunity to really discover your unique, lasting relationship, not only 
with your children, but with yourself. It will translate into lasting, connected relationships, not only with your children, but your partner too. Let me change your life. Go to mindfulparentingcourse.com to add your name to the waitlist, so you will be the first to be notified when I open the membership for enrollment. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. mindfulparentingcourse.com So their their fear their fears are totally real. But so one of the things they're they're using all this screen time, using all this stuff to distract from these really kind of kind of real fears and things like that. Um to, to kind of jump back to like the screen time and kind of look into some of the solutions. Um, I'm really sort of pleased in some ways, in, in some ways it's the hardest thing. In some ways it's the easiest thing that you, you talk about that you need to better regulate your own screen time first. Yes. It, yeah. It you know, um, as a family. Right. Right. So uh, I noticed that in, in, in your new book, um, you talk about modeling, you know, um, uh, quite a bit. And that's, uh, one thing I encourage parents to do too, because oftentimes I will have parents talking to their kids about modulating their screen time in a session where a, a therapy session where the parent will take out their phone or an iPad and look at their own messages, you know, and so there <laughs> you can feel the hypocrisy in this. You know? um, and so I often work with parents about like, you know, you know, really attend to your own behavior and what you're modeling for your kids. Is there a TV on in your home, you know, constantly? That's a screen too, and we forget, you know, like, but if you are running the news all the time, that's probably telling your child like, well, I may as well look at this other screen as well, and maybe this one is two. And sometimes kids have three screens going all at once. So um, I think the more that we modulate and regulate our own screen time and our own emotions in a lot of ways, I think we're doing such better jobs as parents, um, and our kids follow our lead, you know? So parents will tell me, boy, if I scale back, even if I don't say anything, almost organically, the whole house seems to scale back and, and, mm-hmm. and work in a, in a far more effective way, and people are willing to put, their, put the phone in the kitchen to charge overnight instead of having it right at the bedside. And it's some of these, these little gestures that feel like, no, that can't be that significant, but that might buy you another hour and a half or two hours of sleep in a given night, you know, is it, they're, those little gestures tend to be very, very significant in the lives of your kids and tend to manage anxiety the next day today, which is really important. So would, now with these little gestures and regulating ourselves, would you then recommend that also like parents, maybe, maybe if they have teens now, or maybe they have kids who are going to be teens in a couple of years or whatever, um, would you recommend um, setting some boundaries up ahead of time? So I remember, you know, I heard about like, plug your phone in downstairs a, a long time ago. Right. <laughs> some dear friends of ours, da- Kathy and Todd Adams, and I was like, yes, that's what I should do. And then I was using my phone as my alarm clock on the opposite side of my room for a long time. And my daughter called me out and she said, you have to plug it in downstairs, you know, because we have to, we can't use the iPad in our room. So, you know, so in our house, we have a certain boundaries around the screen time. And actually we got my, my, um, my, adolescent daughter we got really she got really annoyed at us at being so strict about our you know we have like half an hour screen time on on weeknights and and we have a screen free sunday so we have some boundaries on them 
and she got got really annoyed with us. Um, but what what would you? <laughs> but I'm feeling like listening to you. I'm feeling like okay, I'm I'm fine with those boundaries. I'm feeling good about that. Um, what would you recommend? What are some of the boundaries that maybe parents of of kids who are going to be teens later or teens now? What what would you recommend in, in instituting? Right. It's a great question. Um, so you absolutely want to do what you're doing. You want to establish really good habits early on. And, um, and you, you cannot take the screen away. Your, your child will be on a screen and should sometimes. You know, they're, they're remarkable devices for communicating and learning. And there's a lot of good that happens there. That kids make plans on their screen. So if you took it away altogether, you'd be taking away a part of their social life and a part of their uh, kind of touchstone to pop culture that and so i'm not in favor of that but mm -hmm. being able to kind of self-modulate and regulate all that you want to teach those skills really early on so um you i love the idea of saying you know half an hour screen time a night um i would add to that after your homework is done and after your chores are done and making that the carrot at the end of the night as opposed to like okay i'll use my half an hour as soon as i get home from school but then I'll be asking for another half an hour, you know, at eight o'clock or, or sometime down the road. It's a strong uh, carrot. <laughs> it's a strong carrot. It's so potent, right? <laughs> and I also, just to make it more complicated, I don't want it to be the last thing a child yeah, does. Yeah, yeah. I, I always like something else before we go to bed, talking, reading, something that it really feels like winding down because we have to remember how stimulating that screen is, you know, and it doesn't suggest sleep. It suggests like, Let's do more of this. Um, so it, uh, I like the idea of regulating it. A screen-free Sunday is a great idea if you can do it. Um, on the whole, I encourage parents to create lives for their kids or co-create lives for their kids where screens are as much as possible in the margins They're, so that you're not debating them every single day. Because I work with, I work with families where the vast majority of the therapy hour is spent on this lecture about like, boy, more than a couple hours on screens and you're going to be depressed. You're going to be anxious. You might have attention problems. You could even be suicidal. Um, and these tend to fall pretty flat, these lectures. But if we just establish really good habits and we say, you know, like, well, okay, you can earn screen time by half an hour. And I like, I like half hour bites because then it's, there's this regulation in that, in that I put it down and if I put it down, it's not the end of the world. I'm not missing out on anything terrible. And if, I, if it's an occasional touchstone, that's okay. I don't have to stare at it all the time in order to feel connected. Yeah, yeah. And you, so you're saying, and this is something you talk about in the rest of the book that, the, and I think this is really interesting. You're saying like, build this life. You just said, build this life that has a lot of things going on besides screen, right? And sure. I think this is really interesting because I really sort of seen that like for our little kids, like they need a lot of like unstructured time. They need a lot of time to daydream and play and to make their own games up. And they need a very unscheduled lives. Right. And in some ways, and you have talked about, as you talked about this book, that actually teens need some more scheduling. They need some like activities. And they also, you talk about, they need exercise in here. No, this is something I almost wouldn't have thought about. Like tell, tell, talk to us a little bit about, about how how teens are not exercising so much and, and, the, and the activities. Well, what, one thing um, about working with teens is if you sit down with them, you learn an awful lot really, really quickly. And they'll, they'll kind of walk you through what the problems are and even what the solutions are. And so the idea of um, pushing 
screen time to the margins. Um, I've worked with a couple of kids, a number of kids who are athletes. And you get this feeling that when I'm out on a field or I am on the track or I'm in a pool or um, I'm moving in some way, I'm off the grid. So I'm off the grid and I'm kind of curating my mind and body and spirit in a completely different way than I would in any other setting. So exercise became like such a cornerstone of my message. And um, in speaking since the book came out, I've had some parents say, well, mine isn't really an athlete. You know, he or she is clumsy or heavy or, and I encourage parents not to carry that script around um, because any kid can move and sweat and play and jump and run. And, you know, even if they're not on the varsity team of the high school, they can go to Orange Theory. They can go to yoga. You know, um, I worked with a girl this week um, and it was lovely, Hunter. She's 17 and she went to yoga. She, she's in the past talked about how much she hates her body um, and she feels like it's her enemy. One yoga session and she said, I realized how my body's my friend and what it can do is amazing. And she said, and it was horrible. I, you know, it was really difficult to do and it was so hard to hold these poses, but I realized I'm really strong and I'm really capable of doing this and I can get better at this. And so I'm going to keep doing it. And she said, and I, I was this close to never, ever doing that and just thinking, you know what? I'm just that person who's never physical in any way. And, um, and I think that's a terrible message to carry, to disregard the vessel you are in, you know, uh, instead of uh, taking care of it and recognizing how powerful it is and how it can help you with your emotional regulation as well. Because, you know, when we move and we sweat, we feel better and mm -hmm. we're off the grid. You know, that's a big piece of it for me right now is we can't be looking at a screen when we're doing yoga or in a pool, you know, and I just love the sanctuary of that. That's so funny, John, because my youngest daughter is nine and she's about to turn 10. She is like, so she is so, she hasn't been able to do this, but she is so wants to be able to go walk on a treadmill for two hours and watch TV the whole time. Like because the YMCA treadmills have Netflix on them and she can watch Stacy plays on YouTube. Oh my so, God, that's amazing. This is like her dream right now. I'm just like, oh no. Oh, that is, um, it's amazing, right? I would say that there's a lot of these, you know, um, companies that are, are developing treadmills and the Peloton bikes that do not work in my favor here. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say, you know, um, some of the, some of the uh, exercise regimens that show up on these little screens, I think are really cool. And um, I don't know if that has the same kind of um, detrimental kind of screen mm -hmm. element as, you know, um, some like, you know, staring at Snapchat or something might. It's, oh, you know, I don't really understand Snapchat. Can you tell me what it is? Yes. <laughs> is it, um, it's like the one where do, it, do things disappear quickly? Is that so you yes. have to kind of be engaged? Yes. Um, I love that you asked because um, at the talk, uh, beginning of some talks I've given in, in the not too distant past, I would ask a parent just to demonstrate how little we know about our kids' worlds to come up and describe for us all how Snapchat works. And it's so fun and funny to, <laughs> to hear how, how little we understand about how this works. So um, Snapchat, it seems like a really fun idea. Like it's way for kids. It's kind of taking texting to the next, next level. You can 
take a group and send them a meme or even a little video, and it can be a little longer than something you'd send in a text. The thing that is maddening to so many parents is even if they're checking their child's phone every night, the snaps disappear, you know, and, and, um, and there are, there are some apps that you can use to pull them back in, but there's exceptionally complicated. So that's what Snapchat is that. And that's the, um, the social media that teenagers are using right now the most, although they are all aware that the next Snapchat is in the hopper waiting for them out there and ready to go. And they don't know what that looks like, you know? So, um, they're always interested in like, well, what's the next social media? What's the next video game? What's the next thing, you know, that's coming along for me? Oh my gosh. So it disappears. So then you have to check it or else you're going to be out of the loop. Yeah. Oy, yay, this is so annoying oh, to me. It, it, <laughs> let me make it more annoying just for a second, Hunter. So, um, and this wasn't, I don't know if the developers of Snapchat had this in mind, but kids develop snap streaks. So if oh, yeah, you and I are Snapchat friends, and we snap every day back and forth. If you took your daughter's phone away for a day, she would lose the streak. So if she had a streak of 400 days, it would feel socially devastating to oh. kids. And it often does. Like, you know, so the threat of taking a phone away um, is big for parents because a lot of kids will say, well, can I have it for five minutes just, to, just so I can just get my snap streaks and keep them going? You know, like that, that is a big thing for kids. And it might feel, when I first heard about this, I will admit it felt like just ridiculous to me. I was kind of like, I was working with this boy and I said, are you kidding? Does this really matter to you? And, and he said, yeah. He, and, and he pointed out, stupid things mattered to you when you were my age. <laughs> like, fair enough. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. If someone told me I couldn't pass notes in high school. Exactly. In some ways, it's kind of like the same thing. It is. Um, oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. 
We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. All right. So we're like sort of jumping around a little bit here, but I, I, I think this is all, this is so fascinating. So we want, ideally we want to kind of be setting some of these boundaries and these habits early so that we can have them um, going into adolescence. We want to, then they want to have more, more activities that are, you know, push, push screen time to the margins, more activities that are more organized when, when you're in adolescence. And one thing you talk about that you've talked about with me before that I think is so important, but like all of this, these things are kind of like, these are big parental asks, right? Like we're kind of, like you say in the book, pulling the parent card quite a bit to like make some of these boundaries. And you talk about also the emotional bank account to, um, to just fund this. <laughs> yes, yes, right. <laughs> so yes. tell us, tell us about this part because this is sort of the the opposite side of like dealing with all the problems is like the 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 connection. Right. Okay. So if I if I can, let me start with a brief story. Um, I worked with a boy a couple of years ago, and he was talking to his father, and he said, "When I became a teenager, when I got into high school, you changed." So you're telling me, you're always telling me I've changed, but you actually changed. You became like the police instead of, so we used to Oh my God, so that's much- my, I just have to interrupt here because that's oh, yeah. like my father. Like when I was a kid, he was like, question things, be, be rebellious and do all these things. And then like when I became an adolescent, he was like, you will do it as I say, because I say it. And I was like, who are you? Where did you come from, man? <laughs> Sorry, please yes. continue your story. No, but I can no, no, relate no. enormously. I love that. Thank you. Um, yes, so you know what I'm talking about, and um, and his dad kind of recognized. Okay, that that probably is true, but um, you know, dad pointed out accurately. But I'm worried that things are. You know, I want things to work out for you. I want you to get into a really good college. I want you to have a really good job one day, and um, and I think we connect these things in ways that don't necessarily move the needle forward in a way that we want them to. Um, I don't think we need uh, to lecture our kids about any of these things. They know where we stand, that they've known us their entire lives. Um, so I, I think I, I always come back to these three elements of parenting, fear and judgment and ego. And they are the most difficult things to move to the side and parent kind of freely. But if we can do that, sometimes, you know, we're not going to be able to do that all the time because we have legitimate parental fears. Our egos are sometimes out there. And sometimes we feel judgmental of our kids, of ourselves, of our other kids. I don't expect anybody to be perfect. But if we can do this a lot of the time and then just connect with our kids, just enjoy them, just um, get to understand who they are, what their lives are about, what's weird about them that doesn't show up on the report card, but is really amazing and wonderful. Well, you know, if they're sarcastic or if they can do graffiti or, you know, even if you can't stand it, what's interesting about them and curate that and celebrate that a little bit, then the emotional bank account 
has this balance in the black. And when you need to have their attention and talk to them about screen time or about drugs or about sex, you are so far more likely to have their attention and have your words heeded than you would be if you were just the police. If you're just the police, then all, all you are are white noise, you know, and, and your kid kind of feels like they check out. And I see it. I watch it. I wa I've watched it this week. And I'm picturing a particular family where I've had to ask the kid, you know, so when did mom and dad lose you? He's like, oh, right away. I knew where we were going and I just stopped listening. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it happens okay. in families a lot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, you can see how it happens. And in each stage, there's sort of these different levels of like, okay, now I have to connect with this new person, right? Because we're always changing. And it's true, yeah. you know, we're, we're always a, a new person and as our, our kids are. So that's that sort of coming back to that. Now, you mentioned um, drugs and sex. Oh my gosh, we haven't even gotten into that. <laughs> <laughs> what I've heard is that <laughs> my, I don't know. So, so my, my personal experience of being in adolescence that I, I was like rebelling full on and, you know, all the lots of like those bad stuff pretty, <laughs> pretty <laughs> early. Right. Like, and it's interesting now that I look at my kids and I've kind of noticed they don't, they seem in some ways like they're not as interested in some of these. I mean, at least my kids aren't like they're, 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 they're they're not interested in you know the the adolescents not interested in dating or any boys uh, nothing like that it, i've heard kind of a, a rumor on the street so to speak <laughs> that that kids are um like kind of sexually just not uh um maybe uh experimenting as young as maybe we used to like in the 90s or whatever no that that's definitely true um yeah, yeah no uh and um and that's good news and bad news, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think a lot of parents listening to us right now are thinking like, oh, good. <laughs> um, we, we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to think about that or talk about that. Um, no, I think there's something healthy about that in that kids are, instead of dating at really young ages, not that it never happens, but it doesn't happen as often as it used to, uh, kids tend to hang around in groups. And so, and one thing I really love about that is they're often co-ed groups so that boys and girls are friends with each other, you know, like it, it, without any of that kind of sexual agenda or that, you know, hookup agenda. Um, the, the downside of it is I think the kids are sometimes a little more disconnected than they, than they used to be, than we used to be. Um, in that I work with an awful lot of kids who on a given Friday or Saturday night, high school, sophomores, juniors, seniors, will choose to stay home as opposed mm -hmm. to being out and socializing. Um, I'll stay home. I'll play video games. I'll, I'll watch Netflix. I'll, you know, look at Snapchat a little bit. And so there's this loneliness and isolation on the other side of that equation that worries me a little bit because I, I see this more in the last year or so than I've ever seen before. And maybe it's that there's enough out there to kind of stimulate our kids that, you know, staying home isn't awful but also they're not kind of challenging themselves to connect with other, other kids as much as I would like them to. Um, and there's this loneliness factor that is kind of like this depressive drag on their psyche that I worry is escalating. Mm, I could see that. Like in the nineties, if you were home on a Friday night, like you're watching your parents watch PBS and yes. it's like, there's yes. like only one phone on the wall and no one is calling because like right. no one else is there. It's this really, really boring. So the state, the social risk of 
connecting with others was worth it because uh, the alternative was really not so fun. But now <laughs> the, you know, you have the whole world at your fingertips. So yes. that when you weigh that against the social risk of connecting and asking and, you know, all of that stuff, then I guess that that's, so what can we, do you have any ideas about what, what can we do with about that? How we can encourage well, I think and I mean, and kids yeah. need to take risks, right? They, they, I'm mean, not take risks, but like they need to take social risks. They need to connect with people. They need to go have their own lives as teenagers when we're around to then be there for them when things fall, go sideways. Yeah. They need to be able to have that first conversation and get through that awkwardness, whatever that is, and get used to the occasional no, if they're asking somebody out or, you know, um, yeah, yeah. All that stuff. Those are important social elements that a lot of kids are missing. So what I find works best um, is not to try to figure it out on the back end and say, you know, like go up to somebody in math class and say hello and, you know, and, and press your kids to do something that feels really pretty inorganic to them. Um, I, I would encourage parents as early as possible to get your kids involved in something, you know, that, that meets on a regular basis. And that doesn't, you and I talked about um, sports. It doesn't have to be a school related sport. It can be a play. It can be the band. It can be um, mm. any number of activities, student council, something where they organically are talking to peers outside of class. And, um, you know, I noticed that when kids do stuff like this, the ability to talk to other people in a casual way is something they develop kind of organically. And the ability to kind of expand their um, social circle becomes pretty easy for them because it's like, well, I, I'm in band with this kid. Um, we're not good friends, but he's got this friend and we hang out a lot together, you know, and you, you end up meeting people in this kind of organic way. I think most of us did this when we were in high school. When I think about how my best friendships developed, they were tertiary. They weren't primary initially. They were like, oh, there's this kid who hangs out with a friend of mine. And, you know, oh, I guess I really like that kid. And, you know, he was in my wedding, you know, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> You know, I, I want kids to do more of that where they're engaged far more frequently than they are now. Because um, one thing, one statistic that I, I don't see, but should be out there somewhere, is how far less kids are signing up for the thing. You know what I mean? Whether it be a sport or a group or a club or a play, um, in these schools right around me, we see like, oh, the fall play, we're, we're not going to do that anymore. The, you know, the, we've lost interest. And, um, you know, some schools have cut out like cross country and gymnastics. And, you know, and, and it isn't just for funding. A lot of it is for lack of interest. And, mm. um, and I think we, as parents, part of our gig ought to be encouraging our kids um, and playing the parent card, even in this regard. Like, mm, you got you to gotta do something. You know, you can get a job. You can join a club, you can join a sport, but you're going to do something because I want you out there and I want you engaged. And you're yeah. just going to have to trust me on this. You, this you have to do. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled my daughter just got involved with scouts. She's like now like, work, it's like perfect for her. She's working up the ranks of the scouts. She's <laughs> so excited. Um, well, dear oh, I like that match too, the idea of matching your kid up to the right thing, right? <laughs> scouts is a, sounds like the right thing for your daughter. Absolutely. It's so good for her. Um, so we're going to, dear listener, we're gonna, you're going to just have to buy John's book. And if you're going to want to hear his advice about drugs and things like that, but it's really <laughs> powerful and, and very, I've had all kind of uh, bookmarked and things and I would, I would highly recommend it. So um, 
for parents overall, the, the sort of picture, kind of what I'm hearing is get to know your kids, get connected. Any other sort of final words of advice as we, as we close out here? Uh, yes. Uh, enjoy your kids. Um, and, you know, this, this time, by the time your kids are approaching the teenagers or, or, or teenage years or through them, this time goes so fast. And I have worked with more than one set of parents, Hunter, who have come to me on the back end feeling like, I feel like we missed it and we can't get that time back. So, and, and we were in conflict the vast majority of the time. Mm -hmm. So um, to the extent that we can mitigate that and recognize like, okay, this is an anxious time for our kids. If we connect with them, we can walk with them through this time instead of kind of like arguing and being in separate spaces and never really gaining that connection and that foothold for a lifetime. Um, there's a better story to write there. And that's what I'm trying to encourage in the book. That's so beautiful. Um, I'm so excited about it. John, thank you so much for coming back on the Mindful Mama podcast, one of a, uh, just a few tiny roster of returning guests. And I am honored. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate your wisdom and you're in there with the teenagers every day and, and you have got some insight and I'm so, so glad that you chose to take that insight and make it an, an, into a new book. I am really grateful. So thank you're you. You're the best hunter. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I appreciate it so much. It's a amazing, right? It, you, I imagine you learned as many things as I did. Oh my goodness. All the, the anxieties and teens and things like that. Oh, do you have any kids who are going into adolescence? Um, if so, I'd love to chat with you. Let's start the conversation, you know, over on Facebook or Instagram at mindfulmamamentor.com. Um, before I let you go, important to let you know that right now, if you're listening to this right when it comes out, we are doing the Calm and Connected Challenge. You probably still have time to drop in, and that's at mindfulmamamentor.com slash challenge. And the Mindful Parenting course is going to be open briefly. So get on the wait list if it's in the future or go there now, mindfulparentingcourse.com be part of the tribe, be part of this generation of parents who are changing generational patterns. It is so, so powerful. And we are opening up, we are starting our first class of the Mindful Parenting Teacher Training, which is so cool. Um, so if you are interested in learning more about teaching mindful parenting in your local community, and becoming a mindful, a certified mindful parenting teacher, please reach out to me, hunter at mindfulmamamentor.com. So it's lots of stuff is happening. I hope I will see you and hear from you. Love your notes. I love getting tagged in your shares on Instagram. So fun. This is a powerful episode. I can't wait to hear what you think. And I will be back with you next week talking about your child's developmental stages with Karen Culp. So be there or be square. I will see you there. I'm wishing you a beautiful week. I'm wishing you peace. I'm wishing you joy. I'm wishing you some calm and lots of sleep. That's always good. All right. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, my friend. Namaste. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? 
laughing in the face of motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. <laughs> well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.